Welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, a podcast for the politically aware brought to you by the Alliance Party. Content for this episode was recorded on Sunday, April 18, 2021, and a good evening to you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the podcast. The past few weeks have been pretty challenging for me. Emotionally, I'm okay, but I've had very little time to devote to this podcast. I thought about skipping this week altogether, but I don't want to break my goal of releasing something every week. In recent weeks, I've been sort of filling in the time with rebroadcasting older podcasts, but I somehow don't feel it's fair to keep doing this. The reality is that there is a lot going on at the Alliance Party, and we will have some exciting things to talk about in the coming months. But for now, I'm kind of coming up short for new material. But all is not lost. I recently recorded a commentary for another podcast, so I'll replay it here. Let me know what you think. It's new material, so that should say something. In this commentary, you'll have to forgive me if I take off my producer hat and put on my opinion hat. As such, I have to say that the views expressed are mine and not necessarily part of the Alliance Party. Well, that may not be entirely true. I am currently the state chair for Missouri, so you'll be hearing from me as state chair, not as producer. That's complicated, I know. Life is complicated. I call this piece short-term gain versus long-term pain. So, here we go. This past week, I've been really busy with my day job. I write software for a mid-sized company near St. Louis, and lately I've been really busy trying to keep up with demand for more and better software. The problem is that I've been putting in a lot of hours because the demand for the software exceeds what my team and I can produce in a normal 40-hour work week. Also, I don't move as quickly as I used to. Now, I'm not old yet, though I'm getting there. The slowness is not due to age, rather it's due to experience. You see, over the years, I've become fairly methodical in the way that I go about doing things. I've learned that it's important to build sustainability into products from the beginning. In other words, I like to build things that last. The reason is that when fundamental problems in product design crop up after it's been shipped, the cost of fixing it in both dollars and time can really sink your ship in the long run. When you've been through a number of product development cycles as I have, you begin to see the patterns emerging. You begin to see how rushing a product out the door before it's ready only means that the product will come back in the door once the customer figures out it doesn't work. And then you've not only lost precious time, but you've lost something much more valuable, customer loyalty. Sure, it takes a bit more time on the front end to do things right, but the long-term gain overshadows any short-term loss. So, how does this little story relate to politics? Let me explain. Short-term thinking almost always produces long-term problems. This is just as true in product development as it is in social issues. Short-term thinking produces the illusion of really solving the problem, but in reality, it's only a temporary illusion that almost always backfires in a disastrous way. A particularly stark example of this is in the expression, mission accomplished. Remember that? Think back to May 1 of 2003, when the Mission Accomplished banner hung prominently on the deck of the USS Abraham Lincoln as President George W. Bush, after riding along for a carrier deck landing, shed his flight suit and stood proudly staring into the TV cameras and proclaimed, Major combat operations in Iraq have ended. In the Battle of Iraq, the United States and our allies have prevailed. 
A month later, Bush made another mission-accomplished speech at Camp Asalia in Afghanistan, where he said, America sent you on a mission to remove a grave threat and to liberate an oppressed people, and that mission has been accomplished. And then, almost immediately, the blowback started. The American lexicon began to fill up with such terms as IED, traumatic brain injury, PTSD, and perhaps a dozen more. Over the ensuing years, many of our young men and women came home either in coffins or with missing limbs or damaged brains or severe psychological issues. Clearly, the initial declaration of mission accomplished was not true, not even close. Instead, this mission lasted the rest of the Bush presidency. It lasted through the Obama presidency, and it lasted through the Trump presidency. Only now, 20 years after the madness of 9-11, do we have a promise of complete troop withdrawal from Afghanistan, though we have no commitments on Iraq yet. Was the mission in Afghanistan accomplished? Well, I don't think so, because we aren't leaving Afghanistan as a liberated, oppression-free country. And as far as I know, we don't have any plans to pull our troops out of Iraq, though the number has been reduced to 2,500. But going back to 2003, when Mission Accomplished was bandied about, there was a short-term gain. Bush managed to get a huge bump in the polls, a bump that translated into votes that saw him victorious in his re-election in 2004. But the long-term price was very high. We basically exported a product of victory and hegemony, only to have it come back at a price of two-plus trillion dollars, thousands of U.S. lives lost, hundreds of thousands of civilian lives lost, and it hung like an anchor around the neck of every president since. Short-term gain, long-term cost. The invasions of Afghanistan and Iraq are perhaps the most prominent examples of shipping a defective product, metaphorically speaking, but there are lesser-known examples throughout the nation. All you have to do is look around. For example, a slow-moving disaster started shortly after the election of Barack Obama in 2008. The animosity and vilification between the Democrats and the Republicans began long before that point, but it came to a head when the Republican Party declared that they would not cooperate with the Democrats in any way, shape, or form. That attack struck a chord and resonated with many Americans who already felt increasingly left behind in a highly dynamic and shifting nation. The intensity of this chord was amplified through conservative talk radio, right-wing news organizations, and social media. Even some religious organizations promoted that message. As a result, the Democrats grew increasingly frustrated at their inability to get anything done in Congress. So, with the help of Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, they began dismantling Senate rules so that motions could pass with only a simple majority rather than a 60% consensus. They used these new rules to appoint federal judges. Was that a short-term solution? Well, indeed it was. The Democrats were successful in rushing through federal judge appointments, leaving the Republicans in the dust. The changing of the Senate rules was referred to as the nuclear option. The Democrats used the nuclear option liberally for federal judge appointments, but they did not apply to the appointment of Supreme Court justices. Well, it didn't take long for the political pendulum to swing to the right. Shortly after the Republicans became the majority in the Senate and won the presidency, they extended the nuclear option to the appointment of Supreme Court justices. As a result, the Republicans, in a short period of time, were able to place three justices on the Supreme Court. 
And now that the pendulum has swung back again to the left, there's talk of expanding the Supreme Court to 13 judges. Will the Democrats have the nerve to actually go through with it? Personally, I wouldn't be surprised because politicians have become short-term thinkers. There will be a long-term cost, though I'm not sure yet as to what form it might take, but I can assure you there will be a price to pay. The general principle here is that you can't just jettison rules when they become inconvenient. It may seem harmless to jettison one rule just to get a short-term gain, but by doing so, you create a slippery slope that may work to your advantage today, but in the long run, everything slides down that slope all the way to the bottom. The root of the problem, I believe, is that politicians are not vested in long-term solutions. They are not held to consistent standards year after year. For example, we saw Clinton get impeached for sexual misconduct And not even 20 years later, Americans voted for a president who was completely unapologetic for his sexual misconduct. You'd think that all this short-term thinking would eventually come at a high price. Well, it will, I assure you, but we're not there yet. One possible reason we haven't arrived at that point is that politicians have found creative ways to sway public opinion. They've taken many, if not most, Americans along on this delusional ride that convinces them that there will not be an ultimate long-term price to pay. Politicians currently enjoy what I would call a malleable public opinion. Malleable in the way that you can mold a lump of clay into any shape you want so long as the clay doesn't dry out. This malleable attribute allows politicians to get rid of any ethical standard that no longer suits their needs and adopt new ones overnight. President Trump took advantage of this highly malleable public opinion. He broke laws with impunity. He all but bragged about his sexuality, going so far as to point in the direction of his private parts during one campaign speech and telling everyone that there's no problem in that area. If President Trump taught us anything, it's that you don't even need to show any shame when breaking law after law. You don't need to show any shame when talking about your personal shameful behavior. But in doing so, he inadvertently held up a mirror to our nation and showed us what we've become a nation unmoored from ethics and morality, drifting aimlessly about the world, reacting violently at times, devoid of compassion, and, most disturbingly, violating the tenets of all good religious doctrine without remorse. How did this happen? How did politicians convince us that loyalty to them and their party is more important than loyalty to anything else, including God? The answer, I believe, is that both parties have worked over several decades to divide the nation into warring camps, and they are so obsessed with winning that they forget the price of the war that they're fighting. And the price can be high. For example, a few years ago, I moved back to my roots in Missouri after living in California for nearly 30 years. Shortly after settling into my new area, I started hearing about hospitals in rural parts of Missouri that are closing their doors, putting people at risk. Now, when you're working on a farm, you're subjected to risks. Farm machinery is very unforgiving, so the chances of sustaining a severe injury are considerable. Making the situation much worse is that there are fewer and fewer hospitals nearby to help. They're all closing their doors due, to a large degree, to a lack of funding. Ambulance service is disappearing as well. And even if you can get to a hospital, there's a good chance you'll go bankrupt trying to pay the bills. It's a no-win situation nationwide, but it hits especially hard in the rural areas. 
and to think that people in Missouri, through a voter initiative, passed an amendment to provide Medicare for those who can't afford health care, particularly in the rural areas, and yet the Missouri legislature refused to cooperate. They withheld critical funding for Medicare, effectively killing the voter initiative. To pour salt on this wound, they currently support a bill that will make it far more difficult to carry out voter initiatives in the future. The legislature consists of a supermajority of Republicans, and these very Republicans are overwhelmingly supported by voters in the rural areas. Now, do you see the problem here? The very politicians that have been entrusted to carry out the will of the people actually do just the opposite, and yet they get overwhelming support election after election from the very constituents who suffer the consequences. Why do voters allow this to happen? Well, you know, rural voters aren't dumb. They know what's going on. But they support the Republican Party because they consider it the lesser of two evils. The nation has been divided on guns, on abortion, immigration, threats of socialism, kneeling during the national anthem, and on and on it goes. The Democrats have been put on the wrong side of each of these issues, essentially vilified as destroyers of this nation. So it is a war, and in any war there is suffering. This is the war that people have bought into, and they fight it at great personal cost. Now, I'm not here to pin everything on the Republicans. They're just one side of this war. The war would not exist without an enemy who fights just as dirty, tells just as many lies, and doesn't care any more about the personal tragedies that unfold in the ongoing battles. Personally, I just don't understand the ethics of this mess. How can any politician and good conscience stoke the flames of this fictitious war just to get votes? How could someone play this short-term game and still sleep at night? The nation is far more divided now than since the Civil War. The separated camps that the major political parties have worked so hard to create have now become militarized. People are taken to the streets with guns. Even the police, who are put in charge of enforcing our laws, have largely found themselves on the hyper-conservative and, dare I say, authoritarian side of the spectrum. For example, it was recently revealed that many influential law enforcement personnel across the nation have contributed to the defense fund for Kyle Rittenhouse. That's the young man accused of murdering leftist protesters in Kenosha, Wisconsin. On the other side of the spectrum, there is an increasingly popular call to not only defund the police, but to get rid of them altogether, arguing that they've become enemies of the people. And there's almost no middle ground in this argument. Anyone who tries to suggest that we can reform the police is immediately shouted down from people on both sides of this issue. Antonio French, an opinion columnist and editor for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, gave voice to this perspective in a recent opinion article. He wrote, quote, As a black man, I resent that my choices are being narrowed down to, one, having a violent, unaccountable, and overly aggressive police department that may shoot me dead during a routine traffic stop, or two, having no police protection at all. This is an example of the long-term cost of war between the parties. When it comes to policing our nation, you're seeing each of the two major parties lining up on either side of this issue, with a large, vacuous, unoccupied space in between. I argue that this is largely the result of short-term political thinking. 
It's the culmination of politicians working to divide the nation so as to maximize and emotionally turbocharge their voter base. They've somehow convinced a large number of Americans to stop thinking for themselves and accept a nation that is divided into two and only two camps. As a nation, the price to pay will be unbearably high. We cannot survive if we're all ready to tear out each other's throats over issues that, in my opinion, have been manufactured by politicians in their short-term pursuit. It's gotten out of hand and it must stop. Or we as a nation will pay the ultimate price and cease to exist. The long-term solution, one that will sustain itself into the foreseeable future, can only be implemented by long-term thinking. Sure, we have to address short-term issues such as health care and infrastructure and education, but overall we have to get back to the hard work, and I do mean hard work, of binding our nation together with a set of common beliefs where nobody is left behind, nobody is insignificant, and everybody participates. We have to get back to the old expression, united we stand, divided we fall. I know this may sound trite, but make no mistake that a lot of damage has been done to the psyche of the American mind, and it will take an enormous amount of effort to undo. The journey will be long, and the first step, as in any personal tragedy, is to acknowledge that we all collectively have a problem, and we all have to learn how to trust one another. Don't expect it to be easy. Trust is something that can take a lifetime to acquire, and yet so easy to lose in a single moment of inattention. But we must commit ourselves to this journey, or we will lose everything. Thank you for tuning in to the Alliance Party After Dark. Please consider subscribing to this podcast so that you don't miss any episodes. Each week we'll bring you interesting topics from the Alliance Party. You may subscribe on iTunes, Google, or Spotify. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast and would like to get involved in the Alliance Party, please see our website at www.theallianceparty.com, all one word, theallianceparty.com. As we expand the party, we need your involvement. Democracy is not a spectator sport. Donations and volunteers are always welcome. If you'd like to contact us at the Alliance Party After Dark, drop us an email at podcast at theallianceparty.com. Also, see our Twitter page at Alliance on Air. All content for this podcast is all content for this podcast is copyright the Alliance Party. Views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Alliance Party. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for this evening's edition of the Alliance Party After Dark, and on behalf of everyone at the Alliance Party, have a wonderful evening, a great week ahead, and we hope you drop in for our next show. Be safe, be aware, and please take care of yourself and those around you.